Welcome to another episode of Open Door Policy, the Unleash the Gospel podcast, where we talk with different missionary disciples in the Archdiocese of Detroit and around the whole country who are doing awesome things to bring the gospel to life. Today, we sit down with Danielle Brown, the Associate Director for the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism on the USCCB. And uh, Danielle, we're so happy to have you. Thank you. It's an honor. We've doubled our Danielle's. Danielle Center, how are you? <laughs> Welcome. I'm doing great. I, I, uh, I've known Danielle Brown for a while, and it's always like super fun to, to be here. How are you doing? I'm great. You know, again, I'm just looking forward to kicking back and letting you two uh, kind of catch up. Be and, intense. Okay, and good. And hang out. Okay. <laughs> good, 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 good. DB uh, squared, DC yeah. squared. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Center, tell me what God's doing in your life. Well, um, we usually start out with a few graces, and the one that I thought of is, as you know, quarantine, as you know. Um, well, maybe you don't know this, but is that the still playgrounds going on? happen. Is that quarantine yes. still going on? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know. Like, like slowly being lifted. But yeah. um, playgrounds have been closed. They're slowly opening, blah, blah, blah. But my, my parents have a tire swing in the backyard, and over the weekend, some people came over just like outdoor – outdoor picnic style and my little nieces were over and they mm. went on the tire swing and it was just like so, like this moment of like iconic summer child yeah. screaming tire swing <laughs> and it was just like this it was like really cool because there's so much going on which is good like it's good to be involved in the world but it was also fun to just like watch a kid like like laugh for a few minutes so that was fun what about you, you know what, you know what the best part of watching a kid on a tire swing is it no. really tires them out oh my <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> okay okay, uh, okay. Great. great thanks great. danielle brown okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> um you know a grace of my life was uh certainly yeah, over the past few weeks, uh, we've gotten five new priests in the Archdiocese oh, yeah. of Detroit. So I got to go to a handful of the ordinations. They were different this year because of the uh, liturgical restrictions. And uh, it was just a real joy to see these men I've known uh, for years as they go through the seminary now become mm. priests and to receive their first blessing. It, it was just, it was awesome. So that's, that's a great awesome. joy for me. Did you cry, Father Steve? I cry at every single ordination I go to. Yeah, I haven't cried in years. Uh, I I don't Uh-oh. know what to say about that. I'm not a crier. I don't know Dude, how to cry. Okay. I'm not good at crying. I was at one of them, though. Did you, did you not, like, tear up a little bit when... No. Uh, Father, oh my gosh, listen though. <laughs> Father Drew Maybe was vested by his older brother, Father oh, Zach Maybe. That was so beautiful. Okay. All right. Uh, so, okay, fine. so let's do it's rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> wow. You're just gonna keep asking me if I cried about it, and I didn't. So. And you're gonna be like, "No, I didn't." Okay. okay Danielle Brown, are you ready? Fire away. All right. What was your first job? I worked at a needlepoint store, a Jewish needlepoint store. It's still in existence. Rachel's Needlepoint in Southfield. Uh, she's a Amazing. genius and still one of my best friends. What is the most beautiful church you have visited? Oh, jeez. Um, you know, it's got to be the cathedral, maybe it's a basilica in Ottawa. Um, it's, it's gorgeous. I think it's where the, uh, the Companions of the Cross all get ordained, um, but it, it's just gorgeous. 
What was your most recent song that's been stuck in your head? Oh, man. Um, probably something by Hillsong, um, Hillsong United, I want to say. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, to be real, the, <laughs> the disco song. <laughs> In the 1970s. Um, look it up. It's really fun. All right. What is your favorite breakfast food? Uh, it's a green smoothie. What was a location where you had a powerful encounter with God? Gee, you know, I'm thinking about um, Turkey. I, I was in Turkey, Ephesus specifically. Um, beautiful. Uh, what's your favorite Bible verse? Mm, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you ever met anyone famous? Yeah, tons. Uh, what venue? Sports. Give, give us one. What, whatever, whatever one you're like excited <laughs> about right now. Yeah. So honestly, the one that I'm sort of like quote unquote known for, and the ones that my friends are like, Danielle, come on, like stop talking about that already. Is um, <laughs> in 2005. Um, I met Bono of U2 and every hey. most people, yeah, most people who know me know that like I was, they were like two steps from any thought at any point growing up for like 20 Good. years. And, uh, and I met Bono. He was so, so sweet. And it was the same night that Rosa Parks died and it was really poignant because we talked about his work for, uh, Africa and, um, a few other things that um, that were really cool. He talked about interestingly the racial apartheid, the uh, the racial apartheid um, that occurs in music, which is really kind of apropos wow. our, our future discussion. It was so brilliant. I was like, dude, you're so brilliant. Um, but he talked about how he doesn't have. He, he talked about how he didn't have a wider. Um, audience of African Americans because you know certain stations just wouldn't play their music and I was like well yeah you're right that makes total sense in the same year at the Grammys he did a duet with uh, Mary J Blige she did one with Mary J and like I remember sitting in my room just like crying and being like I wonder if he thought about me when he put this together you know which is a you know it's a weird thought but you gotta think like the night that Rosa Parks died, he played Detroit, he met a black girl in the lobby of his hotel, and this is what they talked about. Who is your hero? Uh, you know, my mom, uh, really. I mean, she's just been through so much, and uh, she's such a prayer warrior, and she has got a homily for anyone who calls, and you get it every single time. <laughs> she's so strong, yeah. All right, and last question. What is your favorite book? Oh, man. Um, for some reason, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn is coming to mind mm. right now. Awesome. Thank you. All right. I'm just going to be the one who circles back to a couple of these. So, Ephesus, Turkey, what were you doing there? Um, so, I was in a pilgrimage on the footsteps of St. Paul. And, wow. um, yeah, and that was one of the stops. And so, we went to Mary's house and... We saw the place where John received the book of Revelation. It was, it was amazing. That's incredible. And, um, and then also what brought you to Ottawa and what's, what's so stunning about that basilica? 
So um, specifically, it's got uh, a ceiling that is just the most beautiful Marian blue hmm. with stars on it. Um, and I want to say that that basilica was modeled after one in Rome. Um, but the gold gilding is just stunning. And I was there actually days after I left Ephesus. Uh, one of my best girlfriends was getting married there. And, um, and that's what brought me there. And it was beautiful. Okay. Needlepoint job. How did <laughs> yep. you get this job? And do you needlepoint or like, what's the story? Yeah. Can, can yeah, you explain so, needlepointing to, sure. is that acupuncture? No. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what what is needlepoint? It's a kind of sewing, right? It's like it's kind a handicraft. Of. Yeah. It's a handicraft. Yeah, and it does not have spiritual dimensions. Uh, like And you're not putting it into people. I'm not putting it into people. Well, okay. okay. And so needlepoint actually does have spiritual dimensions in that it's like ridiculously relaxing. And yeah. this needlepoint shop was Jewish, is Jewish. Um, and so how did I get it? I was 10 years old and I was driving my mom nuts because I was running around the house being like, I have to make something. There's nothing to make in this house. Like, and so, you know, next Christmas, she just bought me every single handicraft she could find. She just threw it all at me. It was just like, leave me alone. <laughs> Stop bugging me about things in the house to make things with. And I just remember just yearning to create things and there was nothing, there were no raw materials. So I tore through these needlepoint for kids things and I would do them in like an hour. And Dang. so that summer, it, I just instantaneously got it. That summer, like she was looking for some cute dresses and got a tip that there was a dress shop in Southfield um, that had great stuff. And so we went there and right across the hall, there was this little, um, this little door and it said Rachel's needlepoint. And I, I peered inside the window and I was like, mom, we got to go in. She's like, of course we do. So I go in and I mean, just within hours, um, you know, like practically within hours, I'm sitting down with my first canvas, um, my first grown up canvas and Rachel, the owner, um, and I just hit it off and, and I, I could do every single stitch she threw at me, even the complicated what? ones. This is yeah. insane. Like, like, so, I don't know well, that like all <laughs> listeners can appreciate this, but handicraft is super hard being like, and it takes a long time to master this stuff. So the fact that you could just do stuff that like an experienced person can throw at you is like. That's that's very impressive to me. Well, thanks. Yeah. And so by the by the end of the summer, before the end of the summer, she's like, I want you to work for me. Do you think your mom that's would let amazing. you do that? And so, it, you know, because immediately, like I started wanting to go there every day, like I was mega addicted. So I'd sit around like little black 10 year old with like really a bunch of old Jewish ladies. And, you know, they weren't all old, but most of them were old and most of them were Jewish. Well, they were older um, than 10. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I was the youngest by a good 30 or 40 years in most situations. And so she realized that I could start like I, I started to help the, the ladies to my left and to my right, like figure out where they screwed up and I would like fix their stitches. And so by the end of the summer, she had hired me to help out in the store um, doing all sorts of things and and chief of of which, you know, the store would fill up and I'd go around the table figuring out where the ladies had 
messed up their stitches and I, I teach them their new stitches. And, and that was my job. Um, and I kept it until I was about 16 and I fell in love with theater. Um, so yeah, that's the story. And, um, like I said, still in everything I needed to learn about life, I learned in a Jewish noodle point store, which again, Amen. still exists. Yeah. Okay. One more, one more question on rapid sure. fires. Best green smoothie recipe. Go. Three fourths of your container is going to be kale. Yes. I'm put in yes, it is. Half cup of flax seeds or chia seeds. So good for you. And then you add half a banana and then the rest of it is going to be pineapple, frozen pineapple. And then you add water and it's so good for you. So filling and um, super happy, healthy. Amen. Hippie after my own heart. Thank you, Danielle. <laughs> You're welcome. So Danielle, we uh, on uh, an open door policy, we always want to talk about what it means to be a joyful missionary disciple, what it means to follow Jesus, to give our lives to him. And uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about your life, how you became this missionary disciple who has given, like, I know you're very talented, you're very accomplished, and you've chosen to kind of give those talents and those gifts to the Lord. Like, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> it's just like most people, it's complicated. And, and I mean, he is very mm -hmm. straightforward. It is me that complicates things. Uh, it is I who complicates things. Um, but yeah, you know, like, honestly, I've, I've always had a close relationship with the Lord. And it's mainly uh, because of the way that my mom raised me and was able to really uh, translate, you know, these macro concepts about who God is in relationship to me. Uh, and so even in high school, very, very close relationship. Uh, college, you know, never missed a Sunday except for once or twice when they changed the schedule and I just didn't know. Never missed Mass. But, you know, in terms of how I lived on a day-to-day -day basis, like, good student, you know, came from one of the best college prep uh, schools in, in Metro Detroit. Um, but I really, like, I really enjoyed the worldly aspects of being an undergrad. And, um, you know, it really wasn't until I came out of college and, um, and into law school and, and after law school that I really realized that there were aspects of my life in deep need for he of healing. Um, mm. And so it was in pursuit of that healing uh, that I was really, really blessed that a really faithful shepherd pointed me in the right direction because I could have been pointed in any direction, but by the grace of God and through some really headstrong friends that I didn't really get along with then, uh, but kind of saved my life, got into teaching um, theology of the body, really, which is an, a whole nother story in and of itself. But again, I had really beautiful friends who loved me enough to introduce me to Theology of the Body, and I fell in love with it, and where, spurred where did, on. Where did you sure. meet these friends, Danielle? Yeah, so, because, because I mean, that, I mean yeah, you're getting to a point that's, like, really crucial, because we know lots right. of people want to follow the Lord, but oftentimes right. they feel like they either have to do it alone or, right. you know, right. like, like they're, yeah. they're striving for that. So how did those friends come into your life? 
So, you know, the ones that, that introduced me to Theology of the Body, I met through the Noon Center at Michigan State University. And mm. there was this really, uh, well, St. John's Center, I should say. But at any rate, there was a small group of students who planned um, retreats. And I joined that team, not out of any real missionary zeal, but for the fact that I was really irritated that all of the music that they used to guide our meditation was country. And at the time, like, you know, I was a young black woman in undergrad yeah. and I was just like, you guys are so out of touch. It's pathetic because when you go to parties and when you go out, when you hang out with anybody other than y'all, that's not what we're listening to. That's pathetic. And you were going to turn people off and this is so, not so, how you evangelize. So you didn't like it. You didn't I like hated it. it. Let me, let I was just so <laughs> angry. I was so angry. And and mind you, like, this is coming from a girl who, like, I've gone to George Strait concerts by myself. I've been to Reba concerts Dang, by girl. myself. Like, I love country, but, like, this just isn't where on a college campus you were going to draw the masses. And I was so irritated. So I joined the team being like, you're lily white, and that's problematic. And now I'm here, <laughs> and now you're not. And so I like out of that, I got into a bunch of arguments with people because they wanted to do a chastity talk. And this guy who is like one of the best brothers in the Lord I've ever had was basically like women need to dress more modestly. And it's up to you to maintain like our chastity, like to maintain a man's chastity. And I was just like, what in the and like all my feminist theory rose up out of me. Like MSU did a really good job, like making me like really <laughs> really um sort of balk at that idea and it, it was through time and like a lot of conversation and the holy spirit that i came to realize oh my gosh he's right oh crap um and so fast forward you know he gets married to somebody on the team and they send me an invitation to something with this goofy guy's picture it's christopher west i don't know who that is but i'm going because it's about sex and the body and, you know, like recent undergrad, um, graduate, you know, faith and sex. Like, yeah, the, you know, in my life where I've come out of, it's no because no because no. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd never heard the two be put together. And so I went because I was just like, this sounds like something I really need in my life. And it just blew me away. And I remember sitting there listening to Christopher West in this tiny church near as God would have it, like where I grew up. And I was so angry, I was ready to punch people. I was like, how did I not know this? Why did people not never teach me? Like, and so it was that anger and that just like, I'm gonna do whatever I can to make sure that people in my path don't have to feel this, don't have to feel this anxiety and this anger over not knowing about theology of the body. So I took it on myself to, to start studying it on my own. And I found every talk I could and I bought like six different books at the conference. And um, my brother introduced me to this crew of people in Metro Detroit who loved Theology of the Body and wanted to do chastity talks and pro-life talks. Um, and so I joined them too. And I didn't like them at the time, but they are now some of my closest friends and I don't know what I'd do without them. So. I mean, that in and of itself, you know, but that, but that still wasn't like where I turned into the sort of missionary disciple that I am now, 
it was even after that when I realized like my deep need for healing and the absence of the principles that really can turn you on to God's plan for life and humanity in general. Like I didn't have any of that and um, had gotten wounded so many times because of it. And like I said, it was in the midst of trying to get some tutoring essentially from a really holy priest in the diocese that um, like he just saw something in me and was just like, you need community and you need healing. And, you know, here are the people that you need to go talk to. You need to go talk to my sister. You need to go talk to this person. And so it was like the Holy Spirit kind of just networked me to all of these people um, that I really needed to facilitate my healing and gave me the courage to follow through. Um, and so that's really when the lights all came on and, um, and things started to change in major ways. And speaking of friends, when did you and Danielle Center meet? Yeah, DC. We don't really uh, know uh, this. We can't remember. I think we talked about this recently, and, and we think when it was is, so I'm a few years younger than this, than like this team that was giving like the talks about like theology, the body and chastity and retreats and stuff. And I think that we both, I think that we showed, I showed up at one of their like, um like planning meetings kind of just by default and um other than like danielle brown was there and i was there and i didn't really stick around but i was like oh i have an idea how about we stay in touch <laughs> and so we've kind of stayed in touch <laughs> since then um and it's been a it's been a good time I always love hearing stories uh like danielle brown like i love that the reason that you got involved is because you're like like, wow, I'm frustrated that this isn't as good as it could be. I better jump in. And every single that's time. That's like a really, that's a really, <laughs> that's a really beautiful way for God to call you. And you know uh, how sometimes uh, like, like spiritual directors will say like, see where God has called you in the past. See like how he's worked in your life in the past. It's just kind of funny to be like, oh, I wonder what, I wonder what's happening in your life right now and what's going to happen in the future. Like what needs to change? <laughs> Uh, Danielle Brown, your mom and my dad have become like church buds. Um, they tell are. me, you mentioned about your, you know, really admiring your mom and her, her faith. Tell me what you admire most about her faith. Man, she just, just the tenacity with which she prays, and she will have faith for other people that far supplants their faith, the the, the faith that they have for themselves. Um, and just, again, she just, she's like a, a newborn baby. Like she just bounces, right? Like she just like, doesn't matter what happens. Like God bless her. She's just so resilient. And, um, and she really does have a gift for intercession, you know, and she, mm. she relies on the Lord, um, to show up and it's impressive. Have you been working through any scripture lately? And if so, what one? Yeah, you know, I've been working through the Gospel of Mark. Hmm. Um, and, man, Jesus is so compelling, right? Like, and, hmm. and his voice, I feel like, is a little bit different. I mean, like the biblical scholars out there, if you're listening, are just like, this noob, of course the voice is different. You know, like somebody <laughs> different wrote every single one of these. 
Um, of course, it's going to be different. Um, but I'm just trying to think, you know, the challenges, particularly um, that Jesus presented to the Pharisees are just so compelling to me. And I'm just trying to think, like, what recently? Oh, you know, I've just been delving into um, the passage where the Syrophoenician woman um, shows her faith, you know, and, mm. and that back and forth um, about, you know, the, the children's bread and, and who has the prior claim to it and, and everything that that means. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's something beautiful about disciples reading scripture because, it you know, mm. sometimes it can sound like this is what a disciple does or this is what someone who loves Jesus does. Like, you have to do this. It's, it's what you're supposed to do. But the more you kind of, like, there's one way you read it when you first meet the Lord or when you're trying mm-hmm. to understand or study it. But when you read mm-hmm. it when you're, like, trying to follow Jesus, when you're, you're mm-hmm. all in or you've committed to him, yeah, I mean, it's like it's like getting to know the Lord on a deeper yeah. level and getting to hear his voice and the way he speaks, whether, mm-hmm. you know, at times that's really consoling, at times it's confusing and at times it's challenging. Mm. So there's something like beautiful about the way scripture strikes us in the different parts of our lives. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just finished um, working through John and I kind of miss that Jesus. Like they're all the same Jesus, <laughs> obviously, but like the way that. The way that Jesus speaks in John especially is, like, dare I say it's romantic. Like, I remember just a few weeks ago just sort of gushing to my girlfriends about how compelling he is. Because he is, you know? Like, oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, he's pretty great. Yeah. I like him. And it's also interesting (laughs) to, like, be at a different spot in your life and read it again, right? right? Like. Like you read these things a couple years ago and the years before that too. So there's that element of it as well. And I think that there's something just like comforting about scripture as well. It's like this thing that has, it's always speaking to me, but it's always like also there, you know? So it's something that I can return to as well, which I always appreciate. Father Steve, what are you reading through these days? Scripture wise, yeah, you know, I've been reading through Kings uh, mostly because mm. it's in the daily uh, daily readings oh, these right. weeks, and there's so many awesome stories of how God works in the yeah. Book of Kings. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just I love how these stories from the Old Testament are both like really engaging, um, like just history stories and the history of humanity, but it's also God speaking to us sometimes in teaching. But oftentimes in scripture, the Lord teaches through stories. And so God yeah. tells a story so that we can know uh, either the the way we should go or a cautionary like, you know, therein lies death. And so right. uh, I, I'm loving Kings these days. Okay, I say we just jump in. Danielle Brown, you're Let's a strong it. woman. I'm a Let's strong do it. woman. And Let's do it. We yeah, we were talking before <laughs> we started recording about just like racism is a topic right now. And in my life, I feel like I have had so many conversations about racism from people on all 
like every every little color of the political spectrum i have yeah. had folks talk to me about their opinion this that this that so where where are you coming from what's going on what's what have you been working with yeah I mean, can I like, can I, I, you know, I just want to flip it on you and just ask you, like, was there a common thread? Has there been a common thread in all the conversations you've had? Oh, Jesus, take the real. <laughs> um, no, you know, and that's that's something that's been really interesting is. Yeah. And this is something that I was just talking to someone about today. And. Um, like, you know, probably more of my story than the listeners do, but blah, blah, blah. Like sure. they've seen my picture. I'm like super, super white. Um, but also I, you, the listeners would know I attend St. Augustine Monica in the city. It's an African-American mm-hmm. parish. I worked at, um, St. Anne's for the past few, uh, three years. That's a, in Hispanic, it's a Hispanic parish. And then I was working in the city of Detroit. Now I'm back working in the suburbs. So I feel like in different places, people presume I have a different kind of story because yeah. you know, I, I look a certain way. I look like I, I don't have an experience and the relationships that I do. So, no, it's been all over the map. And I've seen so much disconnect between mm. um, the experiences I've had and the stories that I are being told. And mm. so I've 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 been everywhere that for me. What about what about you? What have you seen and heard i'm sure your experience has been way more intense than mine you know it i mean it's interesting i think one of the biggest things and and first of all disclaimer disclaimer i am not speaking on behalf of my race yeah um because it's you know that's just a burden that far too many people of color have but i will and it's say an unfair that burden it's not fair, you know, but, yeah. but even when you say that, you know, like people that you're speaking to, like they want to understand. And so they think after like just a few conversations, even that, you know, they have a good handle on whatever it is, if they've talked to you, um, at any rate, like, I think one of the things that's been a real, um, part and parcel of a lot of people's experiences recently is just the amount of emotional processing that has had to happen, Mm. you know? And so like in my experience, like there's just a lot of emotions to process. And after George Floyd was killed and that story broke, I couldn't sleep for two weeks, you know? Like, I I mean, I I would sleep maybe four, maybe five hours, but I couldn't stay asleep, you know? And Mm -hmm. You know, like when your job is to help people work through these issues, like you don't have time to actually Mm -hmm. like feel the emotion. Hmm. Like you immediately have to go into response sort of triage, you know, and um, I think it's just been really difficult to take in the number of people who have died even in the last three or four weeks. You know, just this morning, you know, two black women um, that I learned about fairly prominent in their communities. One was a writer for a really popular TV show. One was uh, an activist for African Americans, people of, of African descent in Florida. And mm. then another last night, I, I learned about a YouTuber, a black woman, um, who was killed by a, a domestic partner. And so, um, you know, two out of three of these women were killed by a domestic partner and one died um, really of depression. You know, she she killed herself. And 
I was just struck this morning by, okay, there are all the stories that we are being educated about through these high profile deaths that are occurring, you know, including a, a man who, who died um, in a similar way um, as George Floyd in Atlanta just the, just this past week. And there's just, there's a lot of people of color who are dying that we're not hearing about. And there's an extreme amount of dysfunction in these communities. And, you know, what does it mean for us to be hearing um, the stories of black men dying this way, but not necessarily black women who are dying in domestic mm. partner situations, um, you know, and, and the struggle that women face, um, to live freely. That must be just really, really exhausting. And it's a lot, it's just so much to process. And another thing too, that has been hard for me is some of the conversations I've had with people, even with people of, you know, formation and influence within mm. the church mm -hmm. who, um, see things just in such a different lens than I do um, in ways that I would consider like, just like closing their eyes, closing their ears. That's yes. hard, right? Um, there, yes. and then, uh, and, and I think another thing too is, it's different when this is conceptual than when it's personal. Because mm. like I, like, like I said, like, these are the people I sit next to. So it's not like, let's talk about these, this, these statistics, right? It's like, let's talk about the face of the kid who sings a solo every few weeks at church, right? Like, and I think that might be yeah. another, another thing that makes this like really intense is these are my friends, yeah. not just concepts. Right. Well, and so, it seems like so many people... Go ahead, Father Steve. No, do you want no, us, no, no. Do you want to no. jump in? Go ahead, Danielle. Well, I mean, sure. I was just thinking, you know, just like you're saying, Danielle, like, I feel like it seems as if so many people across the U.S. are having conversations about people that they do see on a regular basis, but just it mm. never occurred to them to take a step to the right. You know what I mean? Like, or take a step to the left. Like, don't just take the normal path mentally with these people. Like, do something different in the way that you relate. And people are doing that. And they're experiencing, like, all this pain because they're actually accompanying people and the way that, that Christ meant for them to be accompanied, you know, and, and so that's happening in a lot of places. And it's mm -hmm. turning into, like, I think that's maybe the source of the movement is that there's this desire that's really deep in a lot of people to, to accompany now um, yeah. in a new way. And because you know, faith is not occupying the minds of folks when it comes to accompaniment in this way. I think that's why, in part, we're seeing, um, you know, the extent of, of the 
people taking to the streets, you know, and, mm -hmm. and yeah, Danielle, Byrne, I just want to talk about that because, you know, Danielle Center mentioned about having different slices of her life. And I think a lot of us have that, right? We have different people we relate to in different ways, um, whether it's a professional or families or people make assumptions about us. Sometimes I think that there can be a real challenge of having honest conversations about this that people don't feel like that they're always walking on eggshells or that mm. they can really ask the questions they want to ask without it being kind of misunderstood. Do you find we're at a moment now where people are more open to that or where people are more cautious and kind of retreating to their kind of their camps to people who because it's so easy for us on social media and, and in other places to find an echo chamber, right? Find people who just yeah. agree with everything I say. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm asking, do you find that we're having the conversations we need to have? And how can we do that better where it can be, uh, it can be done in a way where like you don't get put on the spot to, to speak for all African-American people. Um, but right. these honest conversations can happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that, so I, I led a couple of conversations like this at the USCCB just amongst staff. And I think people were really shocked at how quickly people were going deep, even amongst, you know, coworkers that they don't actually directly work with. And the, the thing that I try to impress upon them and everybody else is that it doesn't have to be this hard. If you mm -hmm. simply set the ground rule of we're not going to get personal we're just going to talk about ideas and not people mm. and we agree not to attack each other like just name the mm. thing that you're afraid of like i you know and, and i can't tell you how many mm. times people have said you know i'm really afraid that i'm going to screw up what i'm about to say next and i'm just like i'm a big girl just say it just spit it out you know like get the thing out of you like there's this song that uh chantelle crovius who's i probably butchered her last name but she's from canada and she's just this brilliant writer and there's this song that she writes and one of the lyrics is you know if i get this on paper it's no longer gonna be inside of me threatening the life it belongs to and this is the mm. same Thing. like just get the thing on paper like just get the thing in the air and it won't be threatening you anymore um let us just deal with it um and and so you know like just the fear of being wrong and i say it all the time but it drives me nuts because i think about like the saints who got eaten by lions like ignatius of antioch right like he was just <laughs> dreaming about being bred for the lions you know, and I'm just like, but we're afraid that we're going to screw up verbally. It just drives me nuts. Like, Lord, give me the courage to want to be bred for the lions, even though the lions are just public thinkers. Right. Yeah. I uh, on my way to be podcasting tonight, I was on the phone with a young man and he and he, I think, is somewhere that like maybe a lot of people are is. Um, so like kind of twofold question first, first fold, he's like, my, my social circle doesn't, you know, necessarily understand racism in the way that like, I think it exists. How do I address that? So do you have any, mm. any insight into that? Like how, how, how do you 
begin a conversation in talking about racism and educating about it on the personal level, but then also like you, you are a leader, you're a leader in the church. What do we need to be doing as a church as well? Sure. Um, so, I mean, um, I am inviting all people of goodwill to start with the documents of the church. You know, the church has not always been perfect, but people and bishops and and saints have written about racism. And we need to know how to think about this as, as a Judeo-Christian people, as Catholic people. So, most recently, 2018, November, the document is called Open Wide Your Heart. <laughs> Open Wide, or is it Open Wide Our Hearts? I'm misquoting the title, which is awful. Our, but, our hearts. Um, our hearts, thank you. Um, at any rate, this is the document that you know the bishops wrote in 2018. It got overshadowed by, by the scandal and and just the need to deal with it. But you know it's 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 been criticized up and down, just like every other church document. But it's a great pathway to just start a conversation with people who don't know where to start. And there's a great study guide. Um, that you can use really just on your own or in a group to guide your discussion. Um, but just know that like this is this is not forbidden fruit. This is a conversation that America needs to have or we will be doomed to repeat the social unrest. And I don't mean the protests, but I mean we will mm-hmm. be doomed to repeat this nasty sin for the rest of eternity. And I just don't believe that that is what the Lord intends. Danielle, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with this ad hoc committee. I mean, what what is joyful about it? What, you know, like, where do you see hope in this work? Because this is something you've been a part of kind of since its conception at the uh, U.S. Bishops Conference. Is that correct? Yeah, in a sense. I mean, I'm the first um, staff. I'm the first full-time staff to the committee. Um, And the committee was formed after the um, marches on Charlottesville. And I think the joyful part is really just realizing when I go across the United States, uh, <laughs> when I'm able to again, but you know, in the in the past uh, pre-COVID months and and years, going to dioceses and um, places of of worship and talking to people who don't look like me, who are so acutely concerned about these issues, and you know, interestingly, people who grew up during the civil rights movement. Mm. Um, who weren't able to process this. It's so incredibly interesting. You know, baby boomers who Mm. remember segregation, who never had a venue. It just wasn't, you just couldn't talk about it, even if they grew up in the North, you know, and and also like equally interesting, um, learning about people's different perceptions depending on where they are, you know, Mm. um, people in the South having a viscerally different reaction to uh, race and racism than people in the North and and really just walking in their shoes and realizing that certain cities in the South, you can just feel the vestiges, you know, and um, and joyful is is realizing there are so many Catholics out there that desperately want this country to do something different on this issue. Here's a question is as a 
you were saying that you were working with these bigger communities and doing presentations. What are concrete steps that yeah. the church community can do to address racism, make places more welcoming, things like that? As we know, yeah. uh, th even the church in Detroit hasn't been friendly to African-American Catholics in our history. Yeah, you know, and it's it's really exhausting. <laughs> I was talking yeah. to uh, my one of the bishops about that today and you know, like, this is going to be controversial, but I think I'm going to say it anyway. One of the say biggest... Say it. Say it. <laughs> one of the biggest areas, and this is super serious, is not loving black people enough to evangelize us well. Mm. And loving us enough to catechize us well. Um, and, and I get it, you know, like, people are falling away in every demographic, but, you know... I can't tell you how many black churches I've been to across the U.S. where, you know, it's full of grandmothers who bring their grandkids and it's full of newly arrived African immigrants. Um, God love them. They are they are filling up these churches where the vacancies, you know, once were. And this is, get me, not all, but many uh, mm -hmm. black churches across the United States. And um it's just a sadness to me that the faith has not been passed down and it, it hasn't caught, it hasn't kept, um, you know, and amongst, amongst this community in particular. And, you know, same with, with uh, the native and indigenous community where, where those communities have um, become Catholic or are Catholic, you know, like just, the passing on of the faith is not happening and it's just such a sadness. Um, so, you know, investing again in black communities and particularly in elementary schools that are in urban areas, we all know the stories about the church closings and the, the, comb the combining of churches and all of that. It's a, it's a very common story in, in large cities especially, but it hurts students of color who otherwise don't have options to get education alongside of the teachings of Jesus. And yeah. it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, like as soon as these schools pull out, you know, the, the students may have other quality education options, but not necessarily will they hear the name of Jesus. So that's one of the biggest sadnesses. And so if we can, to answer your question, start investing in those communities and realizing that, you know, the bottom line, yeah, I get it, is the bottom line, financially speaking, but um, you know, somebody told me that our mission statement is our budget. Your budget is your mission mm. statement. We can put our money where our mouth is on this, mm. um, potentially, and, and start praying into, Lord, what can I do to better invest in communities of color wherein they are most in need of the truth of the gospel and the promise of the gospel and the hope of the gospel because the loss of hope is is again you know along with the absence of the person of jesus one of the biggest deficits in inner cities and um as we draw to a close usually we ask our guests to if they have any parting words or um, or prayer for the listeners, is there anything you would like to to end with for the listeners? 
Yeah, sure. Just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And people who people who want to to make a difference in racism and want to understand racism, we have got to go to Jesus first. You know, not a sociologist, um, not a newspaper. Jesus first. Um, Jesus last, Jesus always. But but particularly, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak in a very particular way at this time to his people. And if we're not reading from his playbook, uh, we will do deeper damage than uh, was originally uh, left upon the earth. And, and that's not the impact that we want. So, you know, these conversations cannot happen without Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Danielle Brown, for giving us some time and talking about uh, this very important topic with us. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you so much. Many thanks to Danielle Brown for spending some time with us to talk about a very important and very timely topic of how we can combat racism in our church. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Look it up. It's really fun. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy.